Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King from King Creole Sports. Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Vegas joins us, and so does my good friend Jim Feist, the living legend in Las Vegas, as we go against the spread on this week's NFL and pro football cards. And, Victor, taking a look at last week's card, anything that you saw jumped out to you that was noteworthy from what played last week? Well, first, it's nice uh, seeing everybody today. I see Andy and Jim and Mark, and uh, we're getting some comments from our producer, Greg, as well. So it's nice to see definitely everybody in action. A good weekend for us, for our King Creole service, particularly in the NFL. The four-star over of the week was a winner. What do you know in this underwhelming season on the Cowboys-Eagles over the total? We cashed another European winner. I heard you guys talking about the events in Germany last week prior to the show. And we were on that Dolphins-Chiefs under and brought that one home. And then we wrapped things up on Monday night with a fairly easy under. Everybody knows uh, about uh, what's going on on Monday nights this year, all about the under. And uh, we cashed an easy one with the Jets-Chargers, I think 27-6 final score. So, so far, so good as we continue into the month of November. Well, guys, as we kick it around here, uh, I'm going to share with you that I did get an email, Victor and I did, from a good listener, a good customer of ours. His name is Jeff. We call him the guitar man because he plays guitar his whole life. He's in Edmonton, Canada. And he sent the email, and it said that it's a bad year for dogs in the NFL, and there's been a multitude of unders this football season. Is there any reason why? And I'm going to kick it around and throw it out to you guys, Andy. Uh, first of all, the dogs have not been all that bad. They're about a 50% proposition. Am I correct, Victor? Uh, in the NFL, yeah. It's, uh, it's not uh, anywhere close to the extreme results that we've seen in regards to totals. So uh, uh, dogs, uh, not so much to worry about. It's, again, the uh, totals, I think, which were probably first and foremost on Jeff's mind. I, I have a little bit of an idea on that. I'll share that after we go around the table here a little bit. Andy, your thoughts? on what we're seeing in the National Football League this year. It's it's not that unusual that we're seeing more unders than overs. That's been happening a lot in recent years. What is unusual is the number of extreme weeks. I think it was three overs and 11 unders uh, last week. And that's, I think, the second or third time this year we've had double-digit unders uh, in a given week. And you know, here we are basically at the halfway point of the season, nine of the 18 weeks. Uh, one of the things we hear about, the number of rookie quarterbacks or inexperienced quarterbacks that are starting in the NFL. Right now, you know, C.J. Uh, Stroud out of Ohio State, the school that's not known for producing great pro quarterbacks, has produced one that's off to a tremendous start to, uh, to his career. But around the league, you've had a lot of injuries, a lot of uh, benchings. You've had a lot of uh, quarterbacks that just have not been able to live up, not just to uh, uh, career standards, but what expected to do with their new years. For their new teams, for example, Derek Carr has struggled with the Saints. They can't score. Of course, Aaron Rodgers went down the first uh, series of the first game of the year with the Jets. He was expected to bolster that offense, and now the Jets, one of the worst 
worst in the league. So I think it's I don't know. I would I would attribute it more to poor quarterback play. And I know something that Jim has pointed out very often, as opposed to any great efforts being made by the defenses. Although there are a lot of some very good defensive numbers being put up. But that, again, is attributable to offenses that just can't develop rhythm and continuity. I think Andy's on the right trail there, Jim. Uh, He mentions the rookie quarterbacks, and I heard that Tommy DeVito, who is going to be named the starter for the (laughs) Giants this week, Tommy DeVito, the quarterback, not the founder of the Four Seasons singing group, who passed away a couple of years ago, but Tommy DeVito from Syracuse. Are you kidding me? He's going to be starting for that New York Giants this Sunday. They They might do just as well with Denny DeVito. (laughs) (laughs) you might might be about the same size too i don't know i'm not sure about that but uh, he will be the 10th rookie to start an nfl football game this year that's the most since 1950 jim do you feel that the all these rookies playing getting starts like this is attributable to what's going on in the nfl this year absolutely uh last week we had nine rookies and uh backup quarterbacks starting the games that that leads right to the problem. And then of course you have some very underwhelming offensive coordinators and some coaches that are not doing a very good job. So when you put it all together and then on top of it, the NFL for the last few seasons, maybe even four or five seasons have had difficulty building offensive lines, quality offensive lines. Let me specify that. So you put that all together Bad quarterback, bad offensive coordinator, bad or, 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 you know, not really great. And then the offensive line play, which would make even a good quarterback not play well. Um, that's what you're seeing in the totals. Victor pointed out many weeks ago, the average total compared to what it used to be. I think it was 44, 45, 46. And now I think we're looking at 41s and things like, I mean, you're looking at lines 35s, 37s, and they're still going under. You know, uh, I, I shared with Victor here uh, earlier in the day about this week's card for NFL totals. Victor, did you get the email that I sent you about the totals on the card this week? Right. With uh, no games this week with a line of 50 or higher in the NFL, it's very, very rare not to see that. Now, you do have some of the higher-scoring teams off this week with the bye. Your Philadelphia's, your Miami's, uh, some of the higher-scoring teams. Uh, A couple of games somewhere around 48, maybe 49 points. But, again, surprising not to see that. Um, I would suggest this to our buddy Jeff in Canada. Uh, And we've talked about this now for going on a year and a half to two years for – for basically every over you bet in the NFL, you got to bet about two to three unders just to wow. kind of keep up, to kind of compensate, if you will. Another thing to consider, and I know people love betting overs, watching it on TV, rooting for that shootout to occur, and then cashing it in the third quarter. Uh, there's no funner way to win a bet in pro football, if you ask me. But it's time to consider some of the more exotic wagers, the team totals. And what we've done in the totals tip sheet this week is consider playing first half totals or even second half totals. It's the only segment of the over-under betting community this season in the NFL that's had more overs than unders. And that's first half totals this season. So again, we'll mention one of these 
when we talk about our NFL game of the week. But consider the first halves. And again, if you want to take a look at uh, in this week's totals tip sheet, we talked about the highest and the lowest scoring teams in the first half of their games this season. So there is still some teams out there that have done well playing first half overs. Like both Dallas and San Francisco this year are 7-1 and one to the over in the first half of their games. Miami, Philadelphia, Washington are 7-2 and two to the over in the first half of their games. Cincinnati, 6-2 and two to the over. Chicago, 6-3 and three to the over. So let's start considering some of those exotics, some of those first half totals uh, in response to Jeff's question up there in Canada. You know, Victor, that ties a little bit into what I recall uh, listening to the guys at VEASAN a lot last year, uh, especially in hockey. They were playing these first periods under. Right. Uh, they were feasting on them. And uh, it's almost it's the same parallel in the National Football League. What you're suggesting doing here is maybe these teams aren't quite in that rhythm that uh, they're expected to be or will be eventually in the game. So, you know, I don't know if they've made compensations, the odds makers, for these first half or first quarter unders in the National Football League, but they're certainly making compensations on the overall totals. I know that for sure. Uh, let me also say this, guys. Uh, we're talking about the quarterbacks here, and watching the games last week, I mean, it, it was ridiculous uh, to watch a football game last week and see all of these quarterbacks that are quarterbacking that wouldn't maybe even be starters in college, but yet they're on the roster and they're being forced to play these quarterbacks because of the injury situations that are going on. Is there anything the National Football League can do, Andy? Do you think the National Football League can do anything to circumvent this problem? You know, I was actually looking at it the other way because one of the concerns I have or one of the issues I have is the inconsistency with which pass interference calls are being made more often against the defensive player than the offensive player. So uh, that would tend to work more towards uh, higher scoring games if they continue to call those defensive penalties because you're giving the teams more free yards and having them earn them on the field of play. So that is actually something that I've looked at, and it goes the opposite. As far as what the NFL can do, I've maintained for, you know, the game has gotten so fast over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And, for example, roughing the passer, you're asking someone who is going at, you know, 300 pounds, he's going faster than linemen of years ago were going to make a split instant decision to hold his body back as soon as he sees the quarterback, for example, release the ball or go into a slide. It's almost humanly impossible to stop in that amount of time to avoid getting a flag. But the other thing, which I think is a little bit more perhaps acceptable, is liberalize the offensive holding rules. Make it so that if it's a questionable one, you don't call it. It's got to be blatant, like what the guy has his arms around the other guy, the the offensive, uh, the defensive lineman's shoulders or something. Yeah, well, that grabbing, one you Grabbing call. his jersey like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when it's obvious, call it. But I would say you'd probably eliminate about 40 to 50% of the calls that are currently being made if they would just liberalize the rules a little bit on offensive holding. So he mentioned flags, uh, Jim, and he did. Uh, are we getting closer to flag football in the National Football League? <laughs> Mark, to answer your question, and I think that this is something that, I mean, obviously you guys have talked about this a lot. And I know it's not a quick fix because they're just not going to do it. And that is, without a doubt, it's practice. And what happens is you get these quarterbacks, the young ones, they don't practice during the week. You know, the, the number one the quarterbacks point. get all the reps. 
And then when there's an injury and you got to go to your backup quarterback, then all of a sudden the guy's had no reps for months. Got to shake the be, rust off, right? Yeah, and he's got to be thrown in there with the guys that have been playing all year with number one reps all year. And it's just you know how that works, especially if the kid's you know a little bit um, uh, inexperienced. So uh, they got to find a way to get these kids to practice more. Again, it's not going to happen. I know that, and we're just complaining, but. That's the solution, I think, to a lot of the problems in the NFL as far as offense is concerned. I think that's a real good point you bring out, Greg, about the backups practicing more in that sense. And we may end up seeing that eventually here. Victor, with these all these quarterbacks, these backup quarterbacks, these rookies starting, how is it affecting the over-under handicapping? I'm sure, uh, as we talked before, they've attributed to the, the, the lower scores in the NFL football games this week. But take – the New York Giants, for instance, Danny, De- or Danny DeVito. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> Tommy DeVito or Andy, Tommy DeVito. Uh, how, what's your approach to a game like that when you've got a rookie making his first start in the National Football League when it comes to over under totals? Well, it's bet the under or lay off the game, uh, particularly with a team with like the New York Giants. Still a very good defensive team, so you're already going to be. Uh, they're going to be on your under radar with a great defense like that. And these days, a very dysfunctional offense now with, uh, as you mentioned, a, a rookie quarterback. Their number one uh, receiving option is on the four-week injured list now. That would be tight end Darren Waller. So, I mean, you got a double whammy there. you got a dysfunctional offense. you got a great defense and a team like the New York Giants. It's going to be under or layoff and move on to next week. You know, by about the, just, by the, I was just going to say, excuse me, betting, one moment. How about just betting the Giants under their team total? You know they're not going to score unless it's a turnover. Right. I was going to mention that the dinosaur is, is reappearing, and that is the key numbers in totals now of 37 and 38, which for You're many, right. many years were key numbers, 37, 38, and 41. Well, now 37 and 38 are back into the picture, you know, 21, 17, uh, something along those 20 to 17 along along those lines. And we're starting to see totals now creep below that number, whereas uh, I don't know how long it took this year, but it was a while. And certainly over the past few years, you could probably count on uh, the your, your hands and toes the number of totals below, say, 39 that were posted for much of the past two or three seasons. Here, Go ahead, Jim. We could rewind what is the problem in the NFL. And I would go back even further than we've spoke about to the collective bargaining agreement. This is a union negotiating with the league to determine what's the practice time. What, how much can you wear pads in the preseason, et cetera, et cetera. And when they bring a rookie into the league, a quarterback, he's paid minimum wage basically compared to what they, they will earn down the road. So it, it, it beholds the, the, team to play them so that they can see what they have so what you're giving is you're giving the public basically poor quality eight out of ten nine out of ten quarterbacks that come in from the colleges they're not really prepared to play at a high level maybe after week eight or nine if they survive that long so what the nfl is basically doing with the collective bargaining agreement determining this is forcing the teams to play the cheapest quarterback to see if they can hit a home run with them. That's giving us a poor quality. And it starts with that. And this is what happens when unions get involved with running your business. So 
it, it goes across the board with anything because you got the executives in the suits making decisions that basically affect what the coaches and the owners and the general managers can do on the field. So how fair would it be for the owners of the National Football League, knowing you've got the Danny DeVitos of the world that are making their first start <laughs> of the National Football League, lowering the prices on a, on game day? Yeah, you know you're oh, not. Hell. Oh, hell, they're never going to do that. <laughs> I'm just looking for something that would be fair and equitable. That's all. That would, that would be very fair, but it's not going to happen. It's what happens in the NBA when the players decide to take a rest day. Yeah, do they lower the prices? No, they don't lower the prices. No, but they're, they're becoming a little bit more proactive, the NBA is, on resting. Uh, the, these stars taking yeah. resting time, and at least they're approaching they got- uh, they no. have to do that. Yes, absolutely, they do. You know, Andy brought up a good point, guys. This is the scratch pad that I uh, use every single week in terms of what's old is new again in terms of the key numbers when it comes to totals in the NFL. So for this season in the NFL, the number that's come up the most is the number of 40, followed by the number of 41. Then you've got the number of 30, You've got 37, which Andy mentioned, and finally 51. The top five uh, key numbers this year in the NFL, only one of them is over the total of 41 points, and that's a number of 51. But as I mentioned, 30 and 37 and 40 and 41. Again, what's, uh, what's old is new again in terms of key numbers. Sounds like everything in between the 30 and the 51, Victor, are a little bit more realistic and probably – uh, likely to fall on those types of numbers here because when it's like evaluating performances. Never are you as good as you look in your best win or as bad as you look in your worst loss. But I'm right. surprised to find that many 30s that have played this year. That's really kind of uh, right, wild. Right. Yep. No, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm very hard-pressed to find games that I feel comfortable in the NFL playing over. I have to really look hard two, three, four times through the schedule. You know, this week, the only one that, that I'm even considering – is the Chargers and the Lions, and that's got the highest total of the week, but they also have the two you know, best offenses that are playing this week with teams like Philadelphia and Miami uh, having their, their bye weeks. And even then, I'm not – even if I make a play, how, can, how comfortable can I really feel given what's happening league-wide to, as I mentioned before, the extreme results that we've seen many – well, several times this year already. Guys, let me throw one more thought out here about the National Football League before we hop over to our college football game of the week. And uh, the thought is this, is that it was a month ago that the team that everybody had making into the Super Bowl and pronouncing them as a Super Bowl favorite was the San Francisco 49ers. Now they've hit this glut where they've lost three straight games in a row, straight up and against the spread. Uh, But I found it to be a little bit ironic that if you take a look at who they'll play this week, another team in Jacksonville, three of the four opponents they will have played are all coming off bye weeks. They've had more time to prepare for San Francisco, as will Jacksonville this particular week. And in the other two games, those are two games that Frisco lost both straight up and against the spread. By the end of the year, Frisco will have taken on four teams that are coming off bye weeks. And I think that can be a critical part of handicapping football games. Victor, what's your take on that? Yeah, that's good stuff there. I didn't know that they had faced so many uh, wretched teams this season, and they'll be doing it again this week. I'll say that about uh, this week's 49er Jacksonville game. There's a good system in our database that says to go low when not one, but both teams are coming in off their bye. 
And in fact, we did use the under net game as one of our tip sheet plays this week. So uh, that's definitely one of the games we won't be betting the over. We'll be going under in that uh, cross country game as the Niners take on the Jaguars. Hey Jim, let me uh, ask, we, we, have, we we have to look. We have to look at some like when we're looking at totals. Like you take the Houston uh, Bengals game, Texans Bengals. Uh, initially, when I looked at that, that looked to be, especially since the Bengals are coming off that big game, that big victory they just had. Uh, I like the over, but then when you look at the injury list, and now it's Thursday, we're doing this, but we'll get more of the information on this on Friday. And Andy, I know you, you, you're on top of a lot of this. A lot of the wide receivers in that game on both sides yeah. are hurting. Yeah, right. Now it's, it's going to be very difficult unless somebody just steps up and goes crazy out of nowhere, backup players. If these top uh, wide receivers are hurt and they're not playing, uh, this is going to be difficult to go over. Yeah, that compounds it to the quarterback issue. You know, <laughs> if they don't have their wide receivers uh, to throw the football to, it really <laughs> becomes a perplexing situation. And talking about top quarterbacks, uh, I read also where Brock Purdy's, uh, all three of his interceptions this year have come in games without Debo Samuels on the field, all three of them, uh, which probably goes more to anything else other than the fact that uh, he can spread the ball out a little more. Debo Samuels gives him more options either to run the ball or short little passes out of the backfield. Samuels is back this week. Uh, if you are playing propositions in the National Football League, uh, would this lead to, I'm going to ask you guys because I don't really play them regularly, a play on Brock Purdy uh, over what might be projected interceptions, what might be a, a passer rating for the football game, total yards with Daniel. Uh, what I would, what I would look back. at Mark in what I would look at first in that game is Trent Williams back on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. He is the key to Brock Purdy because yeah. without Trent Williams, who is might be the best lineman in the league at his position, if he's not playing, this is where Brock Purdy gets the extra pressure. And Purdy is not a top-rated quarterback. We all know this was, you know, he came the last guy in the draft. There's a lot of people come in that are never drafted. He was at least drafted. But he under pressure, he's not nearly as good. And without Trent Williams on the offensive line, which I do believe he's going to come back and play this week, but he's still a question mark. So, yes, with Debo, that's important. But I believe that Trent Williams is the key to his success. You know, you hit on a really good point there, Jim, because I recall when the Browns played the Niners and Miles Garrett went up against Trent Williams, and that was a matchup of two future Hall of Famers, unquestionably. Mm -hmm. uh, Miles Garrett said that uh, he made the comment after the game that Trent Williams is the best offensive lineman that he's ever gone up against. Uh, and then Williams on the other side of the coin said that uh, Miles Garrett is also one of the best defensive ends that he's ever gone up against. So it's two guys acknowledging each other. But to your point, that's how valuable Trent Williams is to this offensive line for the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, that's uh, that's why I'm like, I'm waiting for the late information. If Williams uh, plays, I'm going to upgrade San Francisco's position. They are. 0-3 in the last three games, and that was all with Williams out and Debo out. So yep. that's, that's that's major. 
They've scored. Three. They've scored 17 points exactly 17 in each of those three games. So it's so the offense certainly uh, has been less productive. I did see that. Uh, I didn't hear about for Thursday for today yet, but I do understand that Williams did not practice on Wednesday. No, he has not practiced. I don't think he's going to practice today either, which is Thursday. But uh, the final result will this determination will be Friday on Friday whether he practices or not. Hey guys, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. I'm visiting with Victor King, Andy Isco, and Jim Feist. We're going around the round table here for the NFL and college football games. Let's move it over to our featured college football game of the week. And we've got a pretty good game. I would say on tap this week when the Michigan Wolverines take their cheating act, if you will, to <laughs> Abbey Valley to take on the Nittany Lions from Penn state. Victor, from an over-under standpoint, it looks to me like we got a couple of pretty good defenses in this game. We do, and the over-under line matches were somewhere around 45 points for this Big Ten game, Michigan at Penn State. Um, kind of weird that it's as the game of the weekend, and it's still a noon start. Uh, it could yeah. have been a great uh, uh, late afternoon game. It could have been a fantastic primetime game, that's for sure. But with that said... I think there's a very, very good chance that the game plays out similarly to the Ohio State-Penn State game a couple of weeks ago, week eight. In that game, the OU line was 46, final score was 20-12. to 12. And, hey, give Penn State credit, they have a great offense. When they're playing with a lead and when quarterback Drew Aller doesn't have to make a lot of throws downfield, I say that because over 70% of Aller's pass attempts this season um, have come under 10 yards. He's only averaging 6.4 yards per attempt on the year. The bad news is for him is that he's going against the best secondary in the country in Michigan. I know their stats are skewed based on that cupcake schedule. So we got to uh, uh, apply the proper context when it comes to looking at each team's stats, that's for sure. Uh, on the flip side, Michigan's offense, incredibly efficient. But but it's the um, the only defense that's played that ranks outside of the top 40 for yards per play or actually inside is Rutgers. So uh, their style of play also plays well for the under. They're basically built on that very methodical moving the ball down the field while just kind of you know, sucking the life out of opposing defenses. Uh, they run the ball almost 60% of the time, 57.8 on the season. And not only that, but they are behind only Air Force in playing at the second slowest pace in the country, the Wolverines. Uh, running a play every 31 seconds. The offense is not necessarily built on big plays. In fact, they're ranked number 106 in offensive explosiveness, Michigan is. Uh, Penn State, you know, you got a good defense, guys, one of the best in the nation this season. They're only allowing 3.8 yards per play, which does indeed lead the country. Uh, with that said, I think the pace of this game should be incredibly slow, like the Buckeyes, Nittany Lions game a couple of weeks ago, with both teams wanting to run the ball at a high rate, and trying to control the clock. I think we get another Big Ten defensive slugfest on our hands, 
And uh, that would not be a stretch, that's for sure. I haven't bet it yet, guys, but if I do, it'll be on the under 45. Victor's pointing to all the attributes of the football game to be under the total here. Andy, uh, looking at what Penn State did against Ohio State, I know the knock going into the football game is that James Franklin just simply does not step up in big games. Well, he did step up in the Ohio State football game. That was a really good football game and had a chance to win it if perhaps Aller would have played a little bit better of a game at the quarterback, the freshman quarterback. But uh, nonetheless, they did hold Ohio State to their season low in points and yards in that football game. Uh, how do you approach this, Andy, here? Is the news getting tighter for Michigan in this football game as they're undefeated here? Or do you think Penn State comes in footloose and fancy free? You know, when I, I look at the season to date, especially the numbers such as uh, Victor pointed out. By the way, the first question I have, and it sort of goes to what uh, Victor pointed out, why this game is at noon. It's supposed to be a whiteout that is so much more yes. effective at night, especially yes. after everyone's had some adult beverages for the better part of eight or nine hours. <laughs> but just the overall atmosphere, right. This I, I have no idea why this game is being played at noon. I, I understand Ohio State, Michigan traditionally is played at noon, uh, usually what, Thanksgiving weekend uh, but Ohio's, uh, but Penn State, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio's, all these games between these big three teams should be uh, featured night games. That having been said, you know the defenses on both of these teams are so outstanding. You throw Ohio State in there, and Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, not just one, two, three in the Big Ten defensive, uh, a lot of the defensive stats, but one, two, three in the nation. They'll switch back and forth depending upon the results of a given week. And when I look at this game, you can certainly make a case for Penn State taking the points in a game in which they play another team that's a, that's strong defensively. You wonder how much, if anything, the distractions of the uh, science-stealing uh, uh, allegations have within the locker room. I don't know that they necessarily have a significant impact among the uh, players or certainly among the coaches when they're uh, communicating with the players. If they're talking about anything, they're doing it out of earshot of, uh, of any of their players. They want the players to focus. But you do bring up James Franklin's record. And even in the game in Ohio State, wasn't it 20-6 to six before Ohio State scored late in the fourth quarter to uh, make yep. it competitive? So, you know, it was really Ohio State in control as far as that goes. And why I like the under as well, uh, as, as Victor mentioned, is when you've got games like this, you know that one mistake can change the game. And I think we see relatively conservative play calling for the most part, just looking for perhaps certain opportunities where the uh, where the defense isn't likely to expect it for big play opportunities, not necessarily that those will be successfully uh, executed, those big plays, but I think the goal will be avoid mistakes, make this game come down to the final five minutes in the fourth quarter. Maybe it's 13-10, maybe it's 20-17, to 17, and have the last team with the ball have an opportunity to either score a touchdown to win or get the field goal to win or maybe even force an overtime because I think you've got two outstanding differences. Now, the other key is, and we have to pay attention to it, you know, the allegations against Michigan. Do they have some, you know, we know that they've had uh, information on some of the teams they played earlier this year. Do they have any information on Penn State? We really don't know. But, you know, I was listening to a couple of shows and they said, is that, uh, you know, is that an advantage? Well, of course it's an advantage knowing what plays you're going to call it. You that, that split second or two where you don't have to make a decision because you know what's coming, you know. Is that at play? Does any? I haven't heard anything, yes or no, as to whether or not 
Penn State's uh, signals are being uh, uh, being compromised. And, of course, the solution is, and I think TCU started to do it in that game last year when they realized what was happening, you have like three or four coaches on the sideline sending in signals, so you confuse the, the opposition as to which one is the true signal caller for that play. You keep mixing them up. Almost use a random number generator so you can't develop any patterns. Jim, let me ask you this. Are you going to make it three for three to the under in this football game? It looks like that may be the way to go as far as the over-under total goals, or are you looking at a diff- in a different direction? No, I'm actually looking at the under, and I, I do want to make a note about Jim Harbaugh. I, I have a strong feeling that there's going to be a lot of money put in his pocket to come into the NFL. There's a tremendous shortage of quality head coaches in the NFL, and he has a record of everywhere he's gone being successful. Las Vegas. Program around. Yeah, I, I heard he's got the fifth highest win percentage in National Football League history of head coaches. It, it did remarkable at San Francisco for sure. Yep. I mean, he did. And and granted, he, he wanted to go to Michigan. He went to Michigan. He's, he turned that program around. And uh, with all Go, go back to his on, days at San Diego U and Stanford before he got the San Francisco job. So nobody right. knew of, the, of San Diego, and Stanford was an academic school almost entirely, except for a few years here and there, maybe under Dennis Green or somebody like that, you know, decades ago. So you're God knows right. what the hell he's doing, that's for yep. sure. Uh, he's a disciplinary. He comes in. He's a strong guy. He just puts – these are the rules. You follow them or you sit. And, um, you know, the Raiders just fired their head coach, and Davis – you know Mark Davis, he wants to win. And – He's not going to sit on his hands. He's not a patient guy. And there's other teams. I mean, there's rumors about Belichick going, and he should go, in my opinion. Um, But there's there's a lot of bad coaches in the league. There's a lot of bad offensive coaches in the league, a lot of bad quarterbacking in the league. But Harbaugh, he can turn a program around. And wherever he goes, they're going to get – they're going to instantly be better. And I'll, I think this is his last year in college. I'll throw a name out or a team out there that I don't know it's been mentioned, but it would make a lot of sense, uh, especially with that coach right now in the, in, in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Uh, if uh, the Chargers don't make the playoffs this year, there's probably a coaching change. And, of course, Harbaugh's familiar, even though they're not in San Diego anymore, they're in the area. I think he – because there's so much talent on that team that continually underperforms. No. I think he turned no. he turned him into a playoff team in one year. Uh, Staley should have been gone two years ago, three years ago. He, he definitely is. Well, he should, he, he shouldn't keeps be winning there. games at the right opportune time just to keep his job in place. And uh, <laughs> I guess as long as he does it, he'll keep dodging the bullet here. I'm going to say this in uh, conclusion for this Ohio State – I'm sorry, this Michigan-Penn State football game here, guys. In the Playbook Football Newsletter this week, our featured Smart Box column, which is really, really a great handicapping insight tool, it points to the fact that uh, – Teams in college football that are 9-0 and or better, they end up suffering from the noose. It gets tighter and tighter and tighter for these football teams, especially when they're on the road against winning teams, which is the role that Michigan will be in this year. And you can mark it down that more times, much more times, many more times, often than not, the first loss of undefeated teams comes on the road against winning teams. So that's the minefield that Michigan has to step into when they go on the field at Happy Valley this particular week. Then you've got, as you mentioned before, the cheating scandal going on. That's got to be a disruption for this football program here. Uh, some way, somehow, it, it just all has to work. And then I look at Penn State in our database, and I see them 15-5 and five to the spread at home, and they've got conference revenge. 
I'm going to take the points with Penn State in this football game. I know it's difficult to step in front of Michigan, who looks awfully good. But as uh, I think Jim or Andy said, or maybe Victor said, this cupcake schedule that they play, uh, obviously their numbers are as good as they are because of their strength of schedule. Uh, Andy, before we turn it over here to the NFL featured game of the week, I, I want to give you a little bit of a plug here because I, I saw your football newsletter here this morning. and It's just absolutely outstanding. And uh, one of the things that you break down in the newsletter is, uh, and I love how you do this, uh, of how teams have fared in the National Football League this year under certain various categories, such as uh, uh, if they have a better than two to one rushing yards uh, in the football game. Uh, if they rush for over 100 yards, if they allow less than 100 yards, uh, they allow 100 uh, running yards in a football game. Uh, tip of the hat to you, Andy. There's some great stuff in there, and uh, I want to ask you this question. How do you best put that to use with these great stats that you put in your newsletter this week? Oh, thank you, Mark. Uh, what I do is I look at those categories, and I've been charting this. I published something called the statistical pattern report, I think, for many, many years up until everything went to the Internet. And the numbers were fairly consistent. It's been a little bit of a different game in recent years. Uh, I'm seeing it more so in the colleges where rushing is not as important. It's still a key factor, but not as important as it was, say, five, ten years ago. In the NFL, it's still uh, that indicator. And and it's not turnover margin. It's turnover avoidance. So I look for matchups, for example, of now what I call those statistics. Those are retrospective. Meaning, when you do this in a game, this is what teams have done. It's not predictive necessarily, but you look for matchups that feature teams that are strong against the, that. Uh, uh, one of the things, for example, in college football, teams that rush and pass for over 200 yards in each category, facing teams that allow that on on defense. Uh, I look for those kind of matchups. Teams that don't turn the football over, because when you turn it over, that's one less possession that you're having a chance to score and giving your opponent. Uh, one unearned, well, I won't say unearned, but one additional possession to have a score. So I, I don't necessarily look for teams that uh, create turnovers, although it sort of has the opposite effect of taking a possession away. I look at teams that don't give away their possession. So I look for teams that exhibit many of those key statistics that you sh- that you see are relatively, you know, 60%, 65% or higher in most of those categories against the spread thus so far this year and going back over what is it now? 35 years, I think, that I that I look at, and the numbers are somewhat consistent. That's how I use that information. It's one of the things, and and again, another thing I do, and I mentioned it, is, and that those stats are, are applicable. I te- I I weed out the games against those FCS teams that teams will play in September, with the exception of the SEC, who seems to play them in November very often, uh, to uh, take advantage of. Well, if Oklahoma is playing. Uh, you know, Kansas State and one of them loses and Alabama is playing firm and Alabama has a chance to move up in the rankings if they trail because they're, you know, the better team, the, the tougher team is losing later in the season. That's going to knock you down a bit. But I weed out those games. So I'm looking at just how these teams do against FBS competition, both in the, the handicapping that I do and in the numbers that go into that chart. Andy, if you don't mind, I will share a couple of these numbers from sure. your newsletter this week with our, our viewers and listeners out there. They're really, really great. Uh, Andy reports that in the National Football League this year, if you have a better than two to one rushing edge in yards in the football game, the NFL football teams this year are 33 and seven against the spread. That's how important rushing is in the National Football League. Also, if you commit the fewer amount of turnovers in the game, they're 77 and 26 against the spread. And here's one that really blows your mind. If you commit at least three fewer turnovers, 
You have a plus three turnover margin. You are 23 and three against the spread in the National Football League this year. And Andy also breaks it down on the college football side of things as well. Uh, the college football side of things where you commit three or fewer turnovers. The college games this year are 89 and 12 against the spread. I highly encourage our listeners out there to get your hands on a copy of Andy's newsletter. It's called The Logical Approach. Check it out at thelogicalapproach.com. You're going to find great winning insight, just like we're sharing with you here now. And once again, Andy, tip of the hat to you. Another great job. By the way, by the way, I was going to mention one of the other things I do with this. I do several things. I think uh, I wasn't uh, live with the show last week, but I think I mentioned it when I was talking about some of the point spread situations that I chart. I chart like 80 of them every week and update them once we get like four or five weeks into the season with those statistics. I keep a look at some of those key statistics and I take a look at how the teams that are uh, in each category that I mentioned ranked one through uh, one through 20 in the colleges or the top 20 in the colleges and the bottom 20 in the colleges and see which categories are performing at that high level. And I look for those matchups each week when you've got a top rank, a top rated team, a highly rated team going up against a lowly rated team in a negative category. Now you know why they call him AI in Las Vegas, Andy Isco, <laughs> with all these great stats that he brings forward here. Great stuff. Yeah, really, really. I want to throw something in here. I just got a notice, and I don't. A lot of these notices are bogus, so I don't know. Maybe it's about fifty-fifty. They're legitimate. I just got a notice that uh, Deshaun Watson is again on the injury list. Oh, geez. Really, that would that'd be huge, <laughs> obviously. Well, yeah, well, they're going going up against one of the hottest teams in football with the Ravens and it, division game, uh, six point line that probably go higher if he's if he's hurt. Um, uh, it'll get I, to 10 I, if, like he, said, if he's I, hurt, yeah, if he doesn't. I gotta play. confirm that, but it's that's you that's huge. Wow, keep an eye on that. Deshaun Watson, Cleveland Browns, his status it seems to be up in the air every week. Hey, guys, let's move it over to our National Football League Game of the Week, speaking about that. And it's being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, the home of 105 minus 105 Friday night juice, when you can bet every Friday, every wager all weekend for minus 105. And also at uwager.lv, they offer a 75% free play and 125% casino bonus. On the 75% free play, one-time rollover is required and 125% casino bonus, a 40-time rollover. Check it out at our friends at uwager.lv or give them a call at 1-800-U-WAGER. Now, ironically, our NFL football game of the week that uh, Jim sort of maybe apple-carded a little bit here. Is oh, the, I'm sorry. I didn't okay, know. no, I love that. I love that. That's exactly, that hits perfectly. It's a hmm. perfect segue into the Browns and the Ravens being our NFL football game of the week. Now, I approached it when I did my notes on Deshaun Watson playing here, obviously. And, and what Jim says, he's on the injury report. Doesn't mean he's not going to play. Uh, he probably set him out with a little bit of practice with, a, again, a sore shoulder or whatnot here. But, Victor, how are you going to approach this game? You've got the league's number one and the league's number two teams in overall total team defense. How can you make a case for the over in this game, or can you? I can uh, in fact, we're going to approach this game slightly different uh, than we would a typical AFC North Division battle, which is known for uh, ugly play, low scoring, field position, everything that under betters uh, love. Um, on the season, let me see here, the game 39 and a half, it opened at, it's down to 38.0. 
as we record the podcast here on Thursday afternoon. Cleveland, three, four, and one over under on the season for the Browns. The average Browns game has 40.0 combined points per game. Uh, Ravens, one of the better under teams, three and six over under. Their games have averaged 40.4 combined points per game. We'll say this about the series. It's been low scoring, particularly recently. Each of the last three meetings have indeed gone under the total. Four out of the last five uh, have gone under the total as well. We're going to lay the lay off the full game over under and instead focus on the first half of this game. And again, this is an area that we um, started talking about this week in the totals tip sheet newsletter. You know, uh, guys, uh, while I'm on the subject, playbook newsletter, totals tip sheet newsletter, I print them out each week, old school, black and white style, and they're fantastic and all that. But we'll say this. When we emailed our newsletters to you, when you download them off the website, they're sent in PDF format in full color. And I got to tell you, the color really, really pops on our newsletters. Charles does a fantastic job with all the graphics. Yes, he does. And, and it's uh, whether you view it on your uh, tablet or whether you view it on your computer or even viewing the newsletter on your cell phone. I don't know if you can see that, but the color really, really pops when you're viewing our newsletters again on the cell phone. Required reading. We currently have four newsletters a week. The family of playbook newsletters, playbook newsletter, totals, tip sheet, midweek alert, even the uh, handicapping wise guy contest. So again, required viewing, get one, get all four. You'll be glad you did. Let me get back to the Browns game now. We've done some research in the first half. The over-under line in this Cleveland-Baltimore game for the first half is 19.5 points. And guess what? We're going over the total. It's worth a couple of dollars. I know it sounds shocking to go over an NFC, any AFC North game, but hear me out here for about 90 seconds and we'll convince you that this is definitely wager-worthy. What we do know is that Baltimore has come out like gangbusters in the first half of their games this season. They're averaging 15 point uh, points per game on offense. That's number five in the entire league on their own in the first half. They've even improved on those numbers as of late. Last three games for the Ravens, 19.7 points per game in the first half. On the flip side, Cleveland is also a much better offensive team in the first half of their games averaging 13.0 points per game on their own. And just like their counterparts, uh, everything's clipping upward for the Browns. In their last three games as well, Cleveland's averaging on their own 18.0 first half points per game. So we got a high ceiling here, guys. Uh, ceiling being maximum potential. We may see anywhere from 24 to 34 points in the first half of this particular game, if recent trends hold true. And let's not forget this uh, year's earlier meeting between these two teams. Uh, when the Browns and Ravens met each other back in week four, there was 24 total points scored at the half and only seven total points scored in the second and a half. And that plays right into 
What's been successful in the NFL this year? First half overs, second half unders. So we'll end up passing on the full game total, but I will throw a few dollars on over 19 and a half points in the first half of this game. Victor goes over that total the first half of the football game between the Browns and Ravens. And Jim, how are you going to approach this now? I know you just broke the news about Deshaun Watson being iffy for the football game. And I know you won't make a move until you know exactly what's going on here. But let's play the game that Deshaun Watson is going to play. What was your approach going to be in the game? Uh, I don't trust Deshaun Watson um, at all. I think he's milking his contract. Um, That's my opinion. I have no inside information. The Ravens are playing exceptionally well. As a matter of fact, the Ravens and the Bengals are two of my top four teams in the NFL right now. And uh, that would go along with the Niners. And then, but they're, they're two of the four. Um, easily one of them could each, easily make it into the Super Bowl. Um, Deshaun Watson's the key. I mean, they really don't have a quality backup. They've already lost one of the best running backs in, in the league um, earlier in the year. And then if you're going to Walker as the backup quarterback, Ravens, they're, they've got a good head coach. They've got their defense is really playing upscale right now. If, if he's not playing or if he's playing at – because even, even last week when he, he's not playing well. So he hasn't played well since he's been back. So to say that he's going to play well in a, in a quality game, I can't say that. The only thing they have, they have going, which is consistently their defense is exceptional. And uh, other than that, I, I'm not going to do anything until I determine who, who's playing the quarterback. Andy, your take, how do you look at the Browns-Ravens game? Is revenge a big factor in the football game? Uh, can the Browns capitalize on their top-ranked defense? Uh, you know, they lost 28 to three the first game they played. They only mustered up three points. How do you see this game, Andy? You know, Mark, I, I think you may have pointed it out in the newsletter. I'm not positive, but I know that I've heard about uh, the inconsistency of Kevin Stefanski and the uh, Cleveland Browns being unable to follow up uh, a good effort uh, with a second straight good effort. And that's what concerns me about Cleveland in this game. I love their defense. They, as you point out, they are number one and two, these two teams in yards per game and points allowed and defensive yards per play. So it does shape up as a defensive battle. And in fact, like uh, Victor was talking about, uh, you know, looking at the under, you know, if the game goes over, it might very well be because of a mistake by one of the quarterbacks with Watson more likely to make that mistake than uh, Lamar Jackson. And of course, what Lamar Jackson gives to the Ravens as far as uh, his mobility is concerned and the team really plays for him. They like, they like the fact that he goes out there and uh, puts himself on the line and not just stands back and uh, waits for the offensive line to do, uh, do its job. Uh, so my inclination initially is to look at the uh, the Ravens. Uh, you know, they were going against uh, you know the rookie out of UCLA in that first game when uh, Cleveland uh, lost uh, uh, big time uh, to uh, uh, to Baltimore. But with Cincinnati performing as well as they are right now, Baltimore cannot afford to give back the win that they had on the road uh, by losing at home. Road wins are valuable but they mean virtually nothing if you lose 
whether it be the first game or the second game, to that same opponent. So I think we get a fully focused effort out of Baltimore. I do look for this game to stay low scoring. Again, the concern that I have when I mention turnovers, Cleveland has, and again, it has to do with Watson, has to do with the rotating quarterbacks, has been much more sloppy on offense with the football, uh, which could lead to turnovers, and that could make the difference in a game that figures to be in that uh, mid to upper 30-point total range. Does uh, the fact that Lamar Jackson has really struggled at home in division games, just three and eight to the spread as a favorite in division games, or that this ferocious Cleveland Browns defense has held two teams to less than 100 yards this year? That's pretty phenomenal just in itself. Uh, Is that a concern for you in this football game, or do you feel that uh, the better team wins this game? Well, it's a concern worth noting because that's true. However, you know, how was Lamar Jackson playing against other teams? I mean, the fact that it's a division team, yeah, there's more familiarity uh, from his uh, from his opposition. But I also take a look at what they've done in their last two home games against the pretty good teams uh, that they faced in uh, Seattle and Detroit and totally shut them down defensively. And the offense was effective in both of those games. Now, they are going up a better against a better defense, which means that this point spread, and I haven't seen you know the verification of Watson being in there and what, or being not being in there, what that has done to the line. But you know, as we were looking, and I'll be going over in the lines moves. The last I saw, the Ravens were six and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if it's seven and a half if that injury information is correct. So you're asking a team to cover a fairly big number given the low total in this game. But then again, when you consider who will be quarterbacking if it's not Watson for the Browns, they're going up against the defense statistically and effectively as good as their own. So, you know, if there's a team that's going to have trouble scoring in this game, it's more likely to be Cleveland than it is to be Baltimore, which means laying the points is something at least considering notwithstanding that statistic about how uh, Lamar Jackson has done against division rivals at home when favored. I can jump. I can jump in here with this. If, if, if Watson is out, and if the books will actually take the bet, the Ravens would be a great teaser leg uh, because they're, it's going to go over seven and probably go to nine because that's a teaser block. What the books do is they they boost the number up. So if you lower it seven, you, six, you're down to three. And that, that's why they move it like that. So if he is out, I see a nine point line in the game. I'd, I would probably bet the Browns under their team total if Watson is not playing. Well, that's a view of the football game. Uh, My take on it in our newsletter and on the show here is uh, I like winning teams that are playing with same season revenge who have top defenses in the league here. I'm grabbing the points with the Browns in the contest, but now I have to check out the Deshaun Watson situation in the game here uh, to say the least. Uh, and, and I do know that Kevin Stefanski has played well in games with revenge uh, and as an underdog in games with revenge. So it's all going to depend, guys, obviously, on whether or not Deshaun Watson plays in this football game. So until then, I really can't opinionate on the game other than to say what I was going to do. But with the news that Jim just shared with us, we'll have to wait and see as we get closer to game time. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And we talked about Jim Feist. He's, he's labeled the best teams in the National Football League this year. He identified two of them. And Greg, if you will, I know Jim did a, a segment on who he feels are the best teams in the National Football League year to date. Run that if you would. Hello, everybody. Excuse my voice today. I have, uh, well, it's pretty windy here in Las Vegas. And 
when the wind blows, the dust blows, the pollen blows, and of course the allergies kick in and it's, it's bad. But that's one of the bad things about living in Vegas. But there's a lot of good things, a lot more good things. But anyway, let's talk about good things. We know that the NFL this year is not the NFL of past years. We don't have 32 quality teams. We have probably 10. Uh, you could stretch it to maybe 12. So let's, let's focus on who we think are the best teams. In the AFC, I believe it comes down to two teams that I, that I really like and playing very well. And then there's, there's a group, but the Ravens and the Bengals, yeah, the Bengals started off slow, so they don't have the same re record. But if you look at just their, their recent form, the Bengals are right there with the Ravens. And of course, you got to talk about the Chiefs. Um, and we know that Mahomes and Reed and Super Bowls and ex-champion last, you know, champion last year. This is this is the three best teams right now in the AFC. In the NFC, of course, we have the Niners who've lost three games in a row, and now we're going to go to Jacksonville, who is also a pretty good team. Now. Any one of these teams could pop up and do some damage in the playoffs. And there's going to be a lot of these teams make it to the playoffs simply because we got seven from each side and somebody's got to go. And these some of these divisions are so bad that a losing record could win a division, i.e. maybe the Saints, uh, who are not very good, but they could do it because of where they play. Um we're going to see some different moves around with the quarterbacks. We had some really bad quarterbacks, and I'm not going to talk about the negatives because we know who they are. We've seen them now eight weeks, nine weeks, excuse me, and we know who can play and who can't play. Now, of the new quarterbacks in the league, Josh Jobs, who's been around a little bit, I mean, this guy's pretty good. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, you know, they told Elvis Presley he couldn't sing. They told Johnny Unitas he couldn't play football. They told Rocky Blyer he was too small. And they move these quarterbacks around and they blame the quarterbacks. Um, and I think a lot of the times it's, it's the coaches. The coaches don't take these young players under their wings, teach them well enough so they can grow into something. Joshua Dobbs can play football. Then how about C.J. Stroud? They picked him number two over Young. Well, when you watch these two, and first of all, Young is small. And I've, I've gotten wrapped up in the Panthers and Young, and I'm done with that. They, that team's a mess. Young's a mess. The offensive line's a mess. The play calling, I'm not sure about. But the head coach is a mess. But Stroud, what he did last week, this guy's remarkable. And you have to put the ball in his hand and let him play. Because he he's accurate. He makes good decisions. Now, 
Talk about a young guy that and we really haven't seen much of this. Will Levis, very, very impressed with Will Levis for Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee's a contender, but Levis makes quick decisions. He's got a good arm. He seems to have a good head on his shoulders. Maybe he's too cocky. Maybe he's too full of himself. That's what people say. I don't know him, but he has potential. I like what I see there. There are some teams with young quarterbacks that have potential for these guys to get better, to grow, put some pieces around them. But who's going to come out of the NFC? We talked about the three I like in the AFC. I think the Cowboys are right there. Philadelphia's right there and San Francisco's right there. Other than that, I don't, I don't see. I think they're the six. And I may, maybe I'm leaving somebody out. I'm not sure. But, I mean, you could throw in, I guess you could talk about Detroit. And they got a big test this week going to Kansas or to um, the Chargers, who didn't play very well on Monday night. But they beat up on, on the hapless, offensively hapless uh, New York Jets. And that could all change if Aaron Rodgers could figure out a way to get back because that division is really up in the air. Miami's not as good as you think they are. Their defense is getting better, but their offense, they haven't been able to win big games. Buffalo is done. They have those defensive injuries they have, they can't stop anybody. Uh, and I question the coaching, play calling. Josh Allen's great, but... He can't do it by himself, and he's got to getting a lot of help. And now that the defense can't stop anyone with those big injuries. Big game this week. It's going to be very interesting to see if the Browns can keep up with the Ravens. The Ravens are absolutely on fire. They have everything together. They've got a good, off, good offensive game, game plan. They've got a good quarterback, real good quarterback. Um, head coach is smart. We all know Harbaugh. Um, the Browns are interesting. They got a very solid defense. Deshaun Watson, there's no question he's overpaid. No question. Can he play at a representative level to keep this keep up with their own defense and give them a chance to win? Maybe. But this is a test, a really big test going up against the Ravens and and that's why you see the line what it is. The San Francisco Niners, go, go, they have to break this three-game losing streak. They're desperate to do so. They're going to the Jags, and the Jags can play. I mean, we all know they got a quarterback that can play football. He's very, very talented. they got a head coach that's already won a Super Bowl. He's talented. they got some pieces around Lawrence. They can play. This could be a shocker. The Jags are for real. And piece here, piece there, right move. It, you know, it's a, we don't know, but they could be sneaky good. So you got to look out for them. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a very good week. I like where the league is going. We're starting to shake it all out. Um, there's going to be, I mean, last week there were nine backup quarterbacks and rookies that started at quarterback. Nine. That's incredible. Um, and, and you, you know, we're going to have a lot of change. There's going to be a lot of changes at the quarterback position. 
the head coach positions and the offensive and defensive coordinator positions. This is going to be big, big turnover year in the NFL moving on to the next year. But we're into week uh, nine now, and uh, we're starting to shake it out. So I gave you my six top teams, a couple surprise teams that we can look out for. And uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll talk to you next week. As always, another outstanding job by Jim Feist in the National Football League. This guy's got a handle on the league like any other that I know. Now let's take a look at a guy that's got a big handle on NFL over-under totals, Victor King, our own Victor King from the totals tip sheet. And as he previews and reviews the National Football League over-under from an over-under standpoint, Greg, if you will, once again. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor with your NFL over-under review and preview. And we'll, of course, get back to Mark Lawrence's podcast in just a little bit. But let's get into the NFL and let's discuss over-unders in the NFL. Now, you see the totals tip sheet right over there. Right. And you see the headline of the totals tip sheet. Last week in the NFL, three overs, 11 unders. It's been a big time all about the under season. You even see the year-to-date results, 52 overs, 83 unders. And not only that, the night games, the NFL primetime games, have now gone under the total in eight consecutive games. That's the Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night NFL games now. A perfect 0-8 to the under in the last eight primetime games. Obviously, you know where we're going here. It's been a history-making season in the NFL when it comes to over-unders. And basically, uh, let me get to our next page here. The NFL Week 9 Over-Under Review. Now, again, if you're not betting your unders these days, your bankroll could be getting very, very low. Hopefully now, the weekly readers of the Totals Tip Sheet newsletter, the weekly podcast watchers and listeners, and even the people who uh, just watch our over-under segment have adjusted their wagers accordingly during this record-breaking low-scoring season. Again, as I mentioned last week, there were only three games that you would really consider to be shootouts in the NFL. That was the exciting Minnesota-Atlanta game, the Tampa Bay-Houston game, very exciting to watch. And, of course, the Dallas-Philadelphia game in the late afternoon kickoffs. But with that said, every other game, that's 11 of them, had 42 or less combined points. So the official results from last week, like you see on the totals tip sheet, page one, were three overs, 11 unders, and average combined points, 41.1 last week. That average of 41.1, the third lowest of the season. After nine weeks, of course, the year-to-date results, 52 overs, 83 unders, one tie. That is 61.5% under the total for the full season. And that is the best start for unders in the NFL through nine weeks. Going all the way back to the 1990 season, you got to go back about 30 years or more to find underwhelming results 
like we have seen through the first nine weeks. Again, like I mentioned, the primetime games. Again, all three of them last week went under the total, just like the previous week as well. So the primetime games, the night games on the season, seven overs, 22 unders. You don't want to be betting me over in these games. It's under or layoff, just like we told you last week in the Monday night game between the Chargers and the Jets, an under that we indeed did cash. Now, again, it's been a very low-scoring season. you got to be betting your unders in the NFL. However, there are still plenty of bettors out there who like betting their overs. Here's something we're going to suggest, and we introduced this into this week's Totals Tip Sheet newsletter. First half over the totals in the NFL. Obviously, you can bet the full game over-under, but you can also bet the first half over-under. You can even bet the second half over-under. And we've mentioned it in this week's totals tip sheet newsletter. There are some teams who have actually had good over-the-total records this year in the first half of their games. So consider these teams if you're looking for an over. Obviously, don't forget, this is the first half over-under. But best over teams in the first half of this season, both the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers, have gone 7-1 and one to the over in first half totals this season. Very impressive, very high-scoring first halves in Dallas and San Francisco games. Also, Miami, Philadelphia, and Washington are all 7-2 and two over-under in first halves this season. Cincinnati Bengals, 6-2 and two to the over. Chicago Bears, 6-3 and three to the over. Those are your top seven or eight over teams to look at in the first half of the season. Excuse me, first half of their games. Uh, since we're on the subject, the best under teams in the first half, Green Bay Packers, one over, six unders in the first half of their games. Minnesota, two and seven over under. Jacksonville, two and six over under. Kansas City, LA Rams, three and six over under. So again, consider betting the totals in the first half. It's been the only over segment this year in the NFL that's turned a profit, and that is first half overs in the NFL. With that said, we're going to take you to our boy Tuco, and Tuco has a team total in the first half that he's going to be betting over in. And it's in a weird game. It's in the Cleveland-Baltimore Ravens game. The Browns playing the Ravens in a big AFC North battle. And Tuco is going to play the first half over 19 and a half points in the Cleveland Browns-Baltimore Ravens game. Now, I know it sounds shocking to go over the total in any AFC North game. But hear us out here. And there's a good chance that I'll convince you that this was indeed wager worthy. We know already that the Ravens have come out like gangbusters on offense in the first half of their games this season. They're averaging 15.0 points uh, per game on their own in the first half. That's number five in the entire league. But they've even improved on these numbers uh, as of late in their last three games. The Ravens are actually averaging 19.7 points per game in the first half. On the flip side, 
Cleveland's also a much better offensive team in the first half of their games where they're averaging 12.6 points per game on their own. And like their counterparts, um, Cleveland is clicking upward as of late because their last three games, they've averaged 18.0 points per game in the first half. So in this one, we got a really high ceiling, a maximum potential of anywhere from 24 to 35 points if the recent trends hold true. And let's let's not also ignore uh, this year's earlier meeting between these two teams. Uh, They hooked up back in week three, and when the Browns and Ravens met in that game, there were 24 total points scored in the first half, only seven points scored in the second half. So there you have it. We're going to pass – on the full game total, but your free play for week 10 in the NFL, we're going to give the ball to our doggy Tuco. We're going to let him run with it, and he's playing on the Browns-Ravens over 19.5 points in the first half of their game this Sunday. There you have it, our over-under review of week 9, a little bit of a preview of week 10. Again, stick with the unders. It's been a record-breaking season. That'll do it for now. Best of luck in week 10, and we're going to get you right back to the Mark Lawrence Against the Spread podcast. Right on the money when it comes to ups and downs, overs and unders. That's Victor King from the Totals Tip Sheet. Be sure to download the Totals Tip Sheet this week just in time for the National Football League games.